We are going to start reading in verse 19. So we'll go ahead and start there. And we're going to be today reading through verses, uh, verses 19 through 24. So let's read this together. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where, and, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning uh, we open up ourselves to your word and to your Holy Spirit uh, that your truth may come alive in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. Jesus, we thank you for taking us a step closer into who you are, God, and to who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. So um, today we'll title the message, Financial Submission. And sermons like today are why I am so reluctantly glad to have series where we slowly walk through an entire portion of the Bible. If you haven't been with us, we have been discussing the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's radical sermon he gives to his disciples on the mountainside. And this Sermon on the Mount is recorded in, Matthew's, in Matthew chapters five through sevens where we've been reading it from. And so we are walking through those chapters kind of through different portions of those chapters. And today we arrive at a portion of Jesus's teaching of his Sermon on the Mount where it would be much more convenient for all of us to be able to skip over so that we could avoid having to confront some deeply personal issues, right? This is where a topical sermon series is, is gladly welcomed. But when you are walking through a portion of scripture, we are not skipping over anything. And so we arrive at this teaching in this portion of Jesus' teaching um, that can be a bit challenging. Last week was blessed to get to teach um, and am blessed to get to teach again this week. Um, and last week I talked about Matthew 6, 1 through 18. And so I wanted to continue this Sunday um, building off of last week. In Matthew 6, 1 through 18, uh, Jesus gives a main principle, right? He says, you know, correct action with improper motive doesn't bring you any closer to God and it certainly doesn't glorify God. So we can have the right actions, we can be doing the right Christian things, but have wrong motives and, and, and none of this action is bringing us any closer to God. And so Jesus fleshes that principle out with three examples of spiritual disciplines, right? Giving, 
praying and fasting. And, and those are things that are understood to be practiced in the life of a Christian. And so now starting in verse 19, Jesus is really hitting his disciples where it hurts, in the pockets, right? And I say pockets for us, but they maybe didn't have pockets. He's, he's hitting us where it hurts, in our possession, in our wealth, in our money, in our relationship to money. We solve the dilemma of how to live in a material world in this teaching. And, you know, Jesus, he brings this teaching to his time and to his context. And the Bible, y'all, Jesus, I don't know that we could, I don't know that Pastor Mark could do enough sermon series in the year to keep up with how much Jesus taught about money, right? I think if we taught on Sundays about money the, to the extent that Jesus taught about money, some of y'all would just, I'm, I'm going to watch, watch online uh, more often, right? Um, it would become less enticing to show up on Sunday morning, right? Jesus taught often about money. And I think he understood in his context, in his cultural context, the, the bondage that many people found themselves in because of money. I like to think how much more today would Jesus teach on money if he was in our cultural context, right? I mean, think about it. Like just the, how, how money has just expanded since that time and how it operates and how it works and how it's utilized in unhealthy ways. And so certainly we have some continuity from then till now and maybe even some more urgency to lean in to this teaching and really begin to solve the dilemma that Jesus is trying to help his disciples solve. How do we live? How do we participate in this material world that we find ourselves in? So in the previous section, Jesus is calling out hypocrites and challenging the impure motives around spiritual disciplines. And if that hadn't exposed many of us, if that hadn't exposed many of us, here Jesus makes sure to shine light on an area deeply personal for many of us, our money and our possessions. And so now, like in the previous section, there is a spiritual principle here, right? Um, Jesus is not giving financial advice or financial rules. And that's a bit challenging for us. He's, he's not giving a, a, a directive um, necessarily. He's not telling us what certain dollar amounts are okay and, and not okay. Uh, he's addressing the sin that money can cause in all of us while providing a better way. He, Jesus forces us to confront our allegiances Maybe Jesus helps us ask ourselves the question, who is our Lord? Who is our master? The teaching today is uncomfortable because for many of us, money is tied to our significance and our value. Or money is tied to your sense of security and maybe even worse, control. Money is an easy idol low-hanging fruit, and greed is sneaky. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. Now, I want to point out that there's some, there may be some here listening to this in the room, some listening online, or may listen later, 
who maybe find themselves in poverty, like really deep poverty conditions, while others find themselves in very wealthy financial positions. This means that different people here will have different experiences that they bring into this teaching from Jesus. It may impact you and hit you in different ways, and we want to acknowledge that. Also, some of you who are in here, you've gone through crisis, like, like an extreme illness or, or a crisis that, you know, was out of your control and, and, and this just took you out financially, just cut you right out of the norm. And so there's a pain. And because those who have experienced crisis, they may feel robbed of financial security. And, and I just think many times teachings around money in the church don't give fair acknowledgement to those who fall outside the norms, right? And so I'll confess, this, this has been one of the more convicting times of preparation for a message I've had. I think that this teaching has convicted me more than most messages I've prepared in recent years. Anna and I even recently have discussed some of our hopes and dreams uh, financially. And like many of you, we want security. And this passage of scripture, it challenged me in a way to think further than my security. I find myself convicted of, of stopping short of how God may use what money I have to help other people, what possessions I have to help other people, and maybe how my sense of self-worth, value, my, my, my confidence, my, my peace could be wrapped up in my possessions, my wealth, how I compare to others financially. And so while we all have different incomes, we all have different financial knowledge, we all come from different generational wealth or no generational wealth, different spending behaviors, different effects from systemic financial inequalities. And while we all around may have various degrees of relationship with money and possessions, there is a spiritual lesson, there is a caution, and there is a posture for all of us to lay hold of this morning, okay? So there is a spiritual principle, there is a caution, and there is a posture for all of us to grab a hold of this morning, all right? And that is how I'm going to break up these three different portions of this portion of Scripture is a spiritual principle, caution, and posture, okay? And so that's my aim. I'm not giving financial advice this morning. There are many different approaches to personal finance. There are many different approaches to how a country should run its economic system. That's not on the table today. We will discuss that another time, right? Today, this morning, I just want to faithfully teach this lesson from Jesus and allow it to transform our hearts. Okay, so let's bring whatever experience we have into this lesson today, into this teaching, and allow our hearts to be transformed, because I think that's what Jesus is after. 
I wish Jesus would have just given clear directive. Here's how much money you should have. Here's how you should get it. Here's what you should do with it. And I could just follow that, that rubric, right? And just be like, oh, I'm doing it right. I'm doing a good job. Look at me. Check, 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 check. Thanks, Jesus. This was so simple. Jesus is not speaking specifics. He is speaking a spiritual principle for us to operate in. Jesus is not giving necessary practical instruction on on specifically what to do. Jesus is giving us caution and he's giving us a posture that we may live from as we seek to live out the practicals. So there's nothing wrong with having money There's nothing wrong with financial literacy. I think we should all seek that out. Jesus doesn't want you to not work and to not have an income. Uh, Saving is wise. We read in scripture, uh, the Bible tells us that even leaving an inheritance is good if you can for your sons and their sons and and your children and their children. God is an anti-financial security. He is anti-addiction. God is anti-hoarding. God is anti-greed. God is anti-stuff possessing you. God is anti-sharing his throne with anyone else or anything else that would seek to be a God in your life. And so where in Matthew 6, 1 through 18, we were, we were looking at our motives and the motivation behind our spiritual practices. In verses 19 through 24, we're looking at our priorities so Jesus shifts from motive to priorities. We, we addressed our motivations. Now we're addressing our prioritizations. Our motives influence and develop into priorities. And so Jesus doesn't give financial rules, but spiritual principle, caution, and a posture to maintain. And so let us read again Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we want to grab a hold of in this section of scripture, the spiritual principle that we want to lay hold of is that Jesus is telling us to invest your life with eternal perspective. Invest your life with with an eternal perspective. He says, do not lay up treasure on earth, lay up in heaven right? And when we talk about heaven here, we're not necessarily talking about the universe of heavenly bodies because we understand that both heaven and earth will pass away. When we talk about heaven here, we are talking about that which will remain into eternity in the new heavens and the new earth into the final resurrection. And when Jesus returns, there is this need for all of us to lay up into eternity treasure, And so Jesus, he gives us a negative and then a positive. The negative, don't do this. The positive, do this. Stop the first, start the second. Stop laying up treasure on earth. Start living into eternity and investing your treasure and your wealth, finding your wealth there. 
So what is not forbidden is treasure. Jesus does not forbid treasure. What is forbidden is where the treasure is stored. So I'll say this, prudent financial planning, I think, is important. Jesus wants us to earn an income. The Bible teaches often about working to earn wages. A wise man leaves an inheritance for his son. The Bible is not commanding poverty or penalizing people for having money. But Jesus does find fault with those whose treasure is found here on earth. Because Jesus is calling us to live with eternity in our hearts, with our minds set on eternity, with our eyes gaining an eternal perspective. So what is this treasure that could be stored in heaven? Jesus, you know, he keeps speaking about reward all throughout chapter six. And so what is this high treasure? What is this reward? What is this, we could call it sky treasure that Jesus talks about? I believe it's knowing and being known by the loving God of the universe. The sky treasure, the treasure that we can lay up into eternity, one of the chief components is knowing and being known by the loving God of the universe. That God would be the object of our affection and our attention and that his priorities would become our priorities. I love, I'm going to read you a long quote, and I love, it's going to be up on the screen, so read it along with me. I believe this articulates well what treasure in heaven looks like practically. This is a quote from N.T. Wright from his book, Surprised by Hope. Read this with me. What you do in the Lord is not in vain. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff, You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You are not planting rose in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become due, in due course, part of God's new world. And he says, every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures, and of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and make the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this, I say it again, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. We see here a practical application to laying up treasure in earth, recognizing that the beauty we cultivate here in the love of God, the service we do in the love of God, it will be found as God makes new his creation 
one day through his resurrecting power. And so here we find a place to lay up treasure, an eternal perspective to live with. That if maybe if we set our treasure with an eternal perspective, our heart will follow. See, there's a principle where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Find your treasure and you'll find your heart. If you want to change the direction of your heart, change the direction of your treasure. You may say, ah, I just don't feel in my heart like a generous, kind, serving person that I'd like to be. Begin to treasure the things that God treasures and watch your heart follow suit. Amen? I'll tell you a story of somebody who I think demonstrated this well and, and it impacted my life in generosity. You know, I was um, engaged 10 years ago this time, actually. That, just realized that. 10 years ago, this exact time, I was engaged to get married. And 10 years ago, this exact time, um, I had begun working a job and I wasn't quite full time yet. And I was trying to supplement my income and I was just deeply worried and I was deeply insecure about my finances because I was getting married and I had this sort of idea, this vision of what I needed to be and, and, and what I wanted to present. And so here I am trying to come up with ways to be able to supplement my income and my own strength and out of fear and out of insecurity. And so I pick up a part-time job. I'm just working an hourly wage. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm working this, this, this primary job. I'm working this part-time job. And I'm engaged to be married. And I'm, I'm trying to make time for my fiance. And all of these things I'm trying to balance. And in the midst of it, it's just this insecure, worrisome, anxious person, right? And so I'm working at this part-time place and I'm working my shift and it's, you know, I, I, I'm working here and, you know, I just completed a four-year degree from the University of Georgia and I find myself in this sort of part-time job and, and just kind of humbled just even in that. But I'm, I'm, I'm just like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work. I've got I've to gotta, I've gotta, I've gotta make more. I've got to make more. I've got to earn more, right? And so somebody comes in um, who I know and, and they just out of nowhere, gift me with money. And it was a significant amount of money. And then a couple weeks later, the same person who I know well, gifts me again with another sum of money. Another, you know, not just $20, $50, right? They give me another. And, and the very first time I literally, I, I walked into the back of the place where I was working, I sat down and I just cried. And, and here's, here's, what, here's what happened. Here's what this act of generosity did to me. God used it as an opportunity to, to, to nudge my heart and to convict me of where my security was being found. Here's what was interesting. Those two gifts combined were what I had made at this point part-time job over the course of, of a few weeks, right? Like, and, and it was God sort of saying, you know, you can toil and you can work in your own strength, but I can provide for you in ways that you can trust. And so I believe that there was nothing wrong necessarily with what I was doing practically. You know, it, it was wise of me to try to, 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 to do what I was doing, but the heart behind it, the motivation 
um, where my security was was in the wrong thing. And so the Lord used this person. And I think this person, I believe, did something that was a generous act on their part. But whether they realize it or not, this is something, this is the thing that we're talking about that shows up into eternity. And this is the thing that, that more so than the effects it had on me in the moment, these are the kind of loving acts of generosity that build out into the resurrection and store up treasure in heaven, right? And I am going to have, I did not ask permission. I'm going to have to apologize to this person later. But that person was Gail Owens. And I just want to say, Gail, thank you so, so much. Thank you so, so much. Seriously. It taught me a lesson that God is my provider and I can trust him as my father. And here I was toiling, toiling, just not trusting at all. My significance and value found in all the wrong things. And God said, let me use this as an opportunity to teach you how you might trust me as your loving father. And so we have a spiritual principle. We live with an eternal perspective, with eternity set in our hearts. And I believe that that is the principle that we can carry into our relationship with the material world. So now we have our caution, and we're going to read Matthew 6, 22 through 23. So in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Now, this sort of feels like it's sandwiched in between two things that Jesus says about money almost needlessly. But what we have here, Jesus is, is, is very um, uh, intentional in including this kind of saying and this analogy about, our, about the eye and and, and including it as he's talking about money because he's, he's recognizing how our eyes can corrupt our bodies, right? And so in the message translation of, or message paraphrase of the Bible um, from Eugene Peterson, he writes this verse this way, and I'll read it to you, and I think it, it kind of, you know, helps us put the pieces together of this verse. He says, your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. But here's the deal. Check this out. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a musty cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. And so many of us, you know, we may say, I'm not greedy. I'm not a greedy person, right? Like, I don't distrust God. You know, it's interesting to me, and I recognize this, I myself have never done this, and I, like, as a pastor, I've never had somebody come up to me and just say, you know, Pastor Mark, will you pray for me? I am just so greedy. I just need you to pray for me. I need to be delivered. I am just a greedy person. Just, just greed consumes me, you know? And I have never gone up front, you know, just like, God, I just confess right now my greed, you know? I'm just so greedy. Here's, here's where I think we slip up. See, I've been forced to ask myself how healthy are my eyes, right? 
Is there darkness in my life? Is there an unhealthy desire for the material? Do I prioritize any possession or any material thing over God and others? And and here's what happens. Here's how I think this happens for us, right? How we maybe become blind to our greed. If we can compare ourselves to someone else, we will always think that we are good. If I can compare myself to someone else, I will think that I am good. And this harkens back to what I taught last week. It, it gets back to motive. Is, is my motive, is my desire to be a good person? Or is my motive and my desire to be a loved person? Right? Because a good person reasons and uses logic for their goodness. A loved person has no case to make. They humbly accept their need to change and confidently take action to repent. Remember, a love person recognizes that there's no case that needs to be made because the case has been made on the cross. And so when I recognize that the case and the argument has been made upon the cross and that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, then I willingly lay down my life and open up my life to repent and take action towards change. I'm a loved person. I recognize that I'm loved. And so comparison with money keeps us from changing our priorities. I'm going to say that again. Comparison with money keeps us from changing our priorities. We look at extravagantly wealthy people and think, wow, (laughs) I am nowhere near as wasteful and materialistic like them, right? Some of you, you drive on St. Simon's and you're just like, oh. Gosh, you know what I mean? Just how, just way too much, way too much abundance, way too much extravagance, right? Others of us, we, we, we look at those with less money than us and, and we think somehow we're just more wise and we're just so much better stewards and it gives us this sense of confidence, like I'm, I'm just doing so well, and I'm just so good with my money, and I am just such a good financial steward, and so obviously God's blessed me, and he hasn't blessed that person because they're not a good steward, and we know nothing about their situation and circumstance. In either one of those, we know nothing about the wealthy person, and we know nothing about the poor person, but as long as we can look to the outward and compare situations, we are able to insulate ourselves from repenting and changing. We are able to insulate ourselves from confronting our greed. We are able to insulate ourselves from really taking genuine steps towards radical generosity. Can you understand for a moment why when I was preparing this, I was like, Lord, I want to give this back to my dad, right? Like, Pastor Mark, you teach this this Sunday. This affects us in deeply personal ways. All of this comparison is a symptom of unhealthy eyes where darkness abounds. And so we need to know our situation. We need to get to know our relationship with money. We need to honestly assess the greed that may be in our hearts. It's relative. Jesus doesn't give us a dollar amount that's safe to have. What is unsafe is any dollar amount having you. What is unsafe is your security and your significance and your allegiance being solely in money and possessions. Many of us won't have an honest discussion with ourselves about greed, let alone with someone else. But how about we start? What would it look like to shine light to get your eyes healthy 
what would it look like to shine light on your relationship to earthly treasure and possessions? What would it look like to practically discuss with God, with your spouse, with a close friend, how greed may be affecting you and how generosity can increase in your life? See, this is how I know the church has a greed problem. The church in America, the church in the world, how I know that we have a greed problem. And it's not just because of prosperity preachers, right, who I have my own issue with. I can tell the church, myself included, have a greed problem because of the overwhelming need that abounds in our world, in these United States of America, and in our own county, in our own backyards. America has a dire problem with individuality that the early Christians did not have. They were radically generous. They shared their possessions. The early Christian communities gave to the need in their own community. And so I'm not giving a practical uh, step for you guys. I don't have a solution of what specifically needs to be done. But I do believe that on the other side of Christians being set free from greed is a world with less need. I do believe that on the other side of Christians being set free from greed is a world with less need. And so I ask all of us to get healthy eyes where light may shine and we may look at our own situations and ask ourselves, how am I holding on tightly to what I have? How has materialism just wrapped me up and bound me? And how may God set me free that I may just give generously and abundantly and live in life of worship and servitude to him? And so there we find our posture. In Matthew 6, 24, it says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so the posture is this, and it's found in Psalm 16. Thou art my Lord, I have no good beyond thee. Thou art my Lord, I have no good beyond thee. That's our posture. Our spiritual principle is that we live with a heavenly uh, uh, eternal perspective. Our caution is that greed can dim the light in our world. Our caution is to be weary of greed and how it affects and brings darkness into our lives. And our posture, God, you are my God. There is no goodness beyond thee. Beyond you, there is nothing else for me. No need for satisfaction found anywhere else. I'm going to read to you guys from an old book. This book was written in 1947, and it is uh, called These Words Upon Thy Heart, and it's by Howard Tillman Cuist. And I'm going to read you this passage, and I've got it up on the screen as well. Like the Levites who received no land but whose estate was God himself, so too this person recognizes God as his own abiding possession. Talking about the writer of Psalm 16. For him, life's cup is full. 
For no experience can equal that which comes through converse with God. But observe carefully that God himself, rather than anything God gives or does, is the clue to his satisfaction. (sighs) The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. The speaker here is possessed by one supreme, undeniable reality. Like the pilgrim in the 23rd Psalm who can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or like Mary of Bethany, who in contrast to her busy sister Martha, cumbered and oppressed with much serving, had found the one thing which is needful, that good part which shall not be taken away. Or like Paul, who could say, this one thing I do. Or like the individual described by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, whose eye is single and therefore whose whole body is full of light. This person had found the one enkindling, animating flame of living devotion, which transforms feeling into intention. Thou art my Lord, I have no good beyond thee. Thou art my Lord, I have no good beyond thee. That's the declaration that we make this morning. Later on in this chapter, there's another portion that reads this. The final argument for or against Christianity is and always has been people. The argument of the strongest is sort is made by those who translate the spirit of prayer in the wide spheres of human action. Let this last line grip your hearts this morning. Scripture emphasizes that man comes to his true glory only in self-sacrificing, prayerful love. So who is our example of this? Who do we look to? to lead us in this way of living, Jesus. And while men and women in our world today kill and oppress each other for treasure and possessions and material wealth that has made no sacrifice for them and that will fade away, the treasure of heaven, Jesus the Christ, our Lord and our Savior died for you So which treasure will you seek? The treasure that doesn't even know you exist or the treasure who gave his life for you in self-sacrificial love that you might exist into eternity? Will money master you or will you submit to Jesus as Lord? Where is your confidence? Where is your security? And what do you find significance? Is it money? Or is it Jesus? The issue is not having money. It is money having you. Have money and let Jesus have you. Treasure Jesus and your heart will follow. Ponder for a moment. Who is your Lord? Which master are you caught in between? And ask yourself which of those masters has died for you and has bankrupted heaven on your behalf. Which treasure has freely given all that you may have abundance in life? It's Jesus. 
And so we posture ourselves in a way that says, God, you are my God, and I have no good beyond you. And you are my portion, and you are my cup, and you are my inheritance. And so I posture myself in that place because if I have that heart, and if I have the mind of Christ, and if I have Jesus set as my master, my Lord, my savior, I then have to rethink how I approach the material world. I engage in my spending habits and behaviors differently because Jesus is my Lord. Money does not have to bring me security because it could never secure me in the way that Jesus could. Amen? And so I finish. We're going to sing. But before we sing, I'm going to read to us Philippians 2. Here's where we find our example. And here's how we end today. I'm going to ask that you would stand as we read this. As you're able, would you please stand? I'm going to read this and we'll sing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Paul writes, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, in existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we confess with our mouths and in our hearts that you are Lord of all. And God, we choose you as the object of our affection, of our security, of our inheritance, our portion. God, you fill us to overflow. And so we trust you, God. And God, we place our security and trust in you, Jesus. That Lord, we need refuge, God. We find ourselves in crisis and in change and in difficulty, God. We find ourselves in such an uncertain world, God. We find ourselves in such uncertainty today, God. We find ourselves, Lord, in tragedy and heartache and pain and difficulty, Lord. We find ourselves in apathy and all sorts of different human emotions. And so, God, we cling to the one thing that changes not. God, we cling to you, Jesus, the one who is humble and who is a servant of all. We cling to the one who freely gave all that we may have all in Christ Jesus. Lord, we change our hearts 
Lord, we change direction. Lord, we repent of behaviors. Lord, we repent of greed. And God, we fix our eyes upon you this morning. God, would you open up our eyes to see you rightly? God, would you cleanse our hearts, Jesus? God, would you rid us of, compa of, of comparison and instill in us compassion? God, where comparison reigned, would compassion rule? And God, I pray, Father, that those of us in this place, God, would be so set free. God, that we would just be liberated to meet need, God, around us. God, I thank you for what you have given us, Lord. May we steward it well in the principle of an eternal perspective, cautious of greed with a heart that says, God, you are my God and there is no good beyond you. God, we trust you today. And Lord, we lift up our hands to you and we open up our hands, God, as an act of surrender to you today, this morning, Jesus. And we sing to you a song, God, that, that Lord, we lift up not just singing words meaningless God but we lift up a heart of affection to you this morning and as we sing and as we worship Jesus God we thank you for guarding our hearts purifying our hearts bringing us closer to you Jesus God we make you our priority in this moment in Jesus name